Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for the Season 1 ending, Chapter 8, Redemption. Pete, in show news, we have confirmation that Season 2 will uh, be debuting in fall of 2020. Uh, some people shocked to hear that the show was brand new, renewed, despite the fact that last October, John Favreau spoke about the director. I believe they'd already started filming when there was the big presser, and if, even if they didn't, it was like, you're directing, and Filoni made direct, and we're not going to say anything else Carl about directors. Carl Weathers is direct. Exactly. So the notion that this has just jet speeded into, you know, official season two renewal, like that's just people. I mean, I'm not even going to say clickbait. That's just people who are willfully ignorant and writing articles uh, this holiday season. Pete, speaking of this holiday season, any prizes ahead? Yes, we will be giving away our Apple Podcasts ratings uh, raffle prize during our um, season wrap show which is going to be uh, available for you on January 4th exciting times in the future Pete for now let's go to the past in the galaxy far far away it's time to hit the hunt pair of speeder bikes races over the lava fields of Navarro, the child peeking out of a messenger bag. They pull up and radio in from the checkpoint that they have the asset who starts to fumble around before one of the biker scouts punches it. They are told the moth already touched down and took out a squad of local troopers. Pete Ludwig Gorenson's music here at the top, really hammering home the threat. Also have to point out that as those speeder bikes stop, there's perhaps a bit of an, an anachronistic tire squeal as they stop. Um, it's not full-on tire squeal. It's part of the sound effects suite, but hey. Also, Pete, I just want to point something out, okay? Yes, the stormtrooper punches the child, a.k.a. Baby Yoda, uh, I saw things on Twitter in the last couple of days saying, you know, because one, one of these uh, guys is voiced by comedian Jason Sudeikis. And it was like, Jason Sudeikis ruined my Christmas. Uh, some of it tongue in cheek, things like that. But A, he's just doing the voice. He's not the on screen behind the mask guy. B, this still is fictional and we can dislike the speeder bike scout guys we can dislike them and still not have Jason Sudeikis ruin any holiday. The scout troopers then have the single most unusual conversation in the history of Star Wars outside of Poe delivering General Hux a message from General Leia about his mother. I'll hold, please. Um, yes, Pete. And for people who say, oh, this show, this show is so refreshing because it's not challenging us in any way. The entire tension of this scene is about the scene that we're not in. It's what's happening to our three main heroes. Yes, we are concerned about Baby Yoda. We definitely are. But the whole tension, the whole fact that they just sit there and kind of... And things like that. And then, you know, 
can't fire their pistols straight to hit the space tin can and things like that. It's all about, yes, it appears uncomplex. You understand everything that's going on in terms of, oh, we got to wait. Oh, let's check in. Can we go in yet? Nope. But it's all about building up the tension in the audience's mind for another scene elsewhere. And the interplay, the secondary scout trooper asking the primary one, maybe we should check if it needs some water. No, you just want to see it. I barely got to see it at all. They radio in again and learn that Moff Gideon has killed an officer for interrupting him. I like that that is unseen as well to to not potentially come off comical, not, you know, as if Vader killing officers when they failed him was comical but this is definitely in the uh second person of it certainly hysterical um and then when the child hasn't moved in a little bit wanting to make sure that it's still alive otherwise uh moff gideon will have their heads uh we even have trooper two's finger get bit by the child so hashtag justice for baby yoda uh, it's around this point when IG-11 arrives, identifying himself as a nurse droid. Uh, pistols are drawn, and he, IG-11, uh, IG oh my goodness, Pete, the mistake I almost made, is told to get out of here. Uh, with that, he activates protect mode, and he takes them both out. Uh, all sorts of bone-crunching action, which is okay, Pete, because we don't see them underneath the masks, and uh, they're clearly callous guys that hit the Baby Yoda sack many times and we are okay with the violence that unfolds he then steals the bike with the child apologizing for what he had to see as we go to the title card for chapter eight redemption the standoff continues outside the cantina as stormtroopers set up an e-web heavy repeating blaster cannon and the Mandalorian. Well, Pete, did you say E-Web? That's it. It's over. It's over. Uh, <laughs> as soon as as soon as Grief Karga declares it's over, I say, "Oh, I understand what the E-Web is. It's over. It's clearly terrible." Mandalorian scans for sewer access and finds the vent, strangely behind a pair of seats. I kind of wonder how that was set up, but maybe we'll talk about that in theories. Uh, but he's out of charges, and Cara Dune's blaster can't open it. Pete. We can see that it's not working, and Gideon hears that blaster fire, and he reads that this is panic. He announces that he would prefer to avoid uh, violence. Uh, Pete, then we get an exposition dump, which is a dump on We the Audience, by which I mean it's like getting hit by a wave, all that he has to say here. Let's consider this E-Web heavy blaster is known by Kara Cynthia Dune of Alderaan on the battlefield. Perhaps Mandalorian hunter Din Djarin knows of them from the Siege of Mandalore and the Night of Thousand Tears. Perhaps Magistrate Grief Karga can urge them to lay down their arms. Pete, malice? presented by Gideon, knowledge presented by Gideon, information delivered to the audience. Been a fan of Giancarlo Esposito for a long time, making his bones as far as his reputation with Breaking Bad. Gus Fring now playing that character in the prequel, um, Better Call Saul. But that they were able to get him to play this Imperial Moth and... You don't go get this guy for a one-off situation. And uh, I can only imagine as we will continue to see him. It's not going to be in every episode moving forward. But when he pops up, he absolutely chews it up. 
So what is proposed here? Reasonable negotiation, though. Can Gideon be trusted? He says no. He would easily break any promises, except that he will act in his self-interests. Uh, they're given, perhaps, arbitrarily until nightfall, which uh, that's on Hammer Home Pete. I think it's kind of arbitrary. I think it's kind of extended story clock. But you know what? Nobody's perfect. Carter wants to hear him out, but Kara is convinced they'll upload her to a mind flayer, whatever that is. We'll talk about that if there's not a uh, Stranger Things crossover uh, in store for season two. Uh, so she wants to shoot her way out, and Mando knows it's Moff Gideon, despite Kara's insistence that he was ex- executed for war crimes. He, the Mandalorian, hasn't heard his name spoken since he was a child. He was not born on Mandalore. It's not a race. It's a creed, not Apollo Creed. Take us to the flashback, Matt. Yeah, it's like the perfect setup line to take us to the full flashback here. Young Din Djarin on the run with his parents. Super battle droids take out others in their tribe. Thank goodness, Pete, all those tribe members wear red so we can keep track of all that. Uh, They run to the storage cellar that we've seen before. This is drawn out uh, kind of in slight slow motion here, and it's drawn out doubly since we know how this ends, or at least how it ends for the parents, at least so we think, theories later. Uh, young Din Djarin is placed into the cellar. The door is closed. An explosion rocks those closed doors. Then a super battle droid appears, opening the door, blaster pointing. Then Pete, cool electric guitars uh, joining with... A Mandalorian who uh, has taken out that super battle droid. Many Mandalorians uh, saving the day, even as this main savior reaches forward and gives a, a come here gesture with his hand. Did you recognize the insignia on these Mandalorian? Uh, I did not. That, of course, the Death Watch signet from the Clone Wars cartoon. So we're, we're reaching back and we're reaching back with some weight, Matt, uh, this foundling, um, spirited away by jetpack. He was later raised in the fighting corps. He was treated as one of their own. He came of age and was sworn to the creed. The only record of his family was in the registers of Mandalore and Moff Gideon was an ISB. That's Imperial security bureau officer during the purge. And uh, the Mandalorian deduces that the child has gotten away because Gideon says he still needs them. With that, Pete, baby Yoda is on the horn, by which I mean the comlink. Uh, and we see IG-11 uh, fulfilling his base function to nurse and protect. Can we see those on t-shirts, etc. IG-11 comes rolling into town at full speed, blasting... Uh, stormtroopers away there's a particularly fun shot of two troopers presumably about to give a jawa a hard time and they are gunned down as the speeder bike races by uh pete i'm sure many directors could do what director taika watiti does in this episode and in this scene but never has uh the gunning down of uh stormtroopers been quite so funny Yes, IG-11 spins his torso to shield the child as he gets closer to the action here, hops off the speeder bike X-game style, sending it crashing into troops. Kara covers the Mandalorian, who goes on the offensive along with Karga out into the street. 
IG-11 is lowered by a couple of hits, but the child is, of course, kept safe. And Mando pulls the E-Web off its tripod and lays waste to a bunch of stormtroopers. Pete, uh, taking the giant gun, just as he did in the first episode, different weapon, same idea here. Um, Mando's outside, IG-11's outside, as you said. Kara's inside as troopers prepare to blow the door. Uh, they do just that, and, and it knocks Kara down, but not out. Still, we see Moff Gideon watching from the sidelines, slowly approaching Mando on his flank. Uh, one shot slows Mando, uh, though it's when Gideon blasts the ammo box that we see Mando downed Pete, maybe for good. Kara gets him back into the cantina here, and Gideon orders them burned out as Karga has IG-11 work on the sewer gate. And it's at this point that the Mandalorian tells them he's not going to make it. Kara won't hear of it, but she has a handful of blood from behind his head. TV code for this is serious, whether you're wearing a helmet or not. Uh, he gives a Mandalorian necklace to her and says for them to take it to the covert. Uh, we get some extra story clock here. The fire trooper giving a measured blast. Uh, da, da, not a fire trooper, Matt. I what are they called, Pete? This is an incinerator trooper. We have now made the Force Unleashed canon as far as live action is concerned. So the fire trooper is trying to get Baby Yoda so that one day Baby Yoda can't grow up to train Luke Skywalker. Got it. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it's, it's time travel and uh, it's a TARDIS somewhere. Um, so Pete, what are they called again? These are incinerator troopers. So the, the incinerator trooper uh, moves to the side. I love that there's this psychological element to it, you know, getting through the window, now moving to the to the door there. Still, Kara's not going to leave our The Mandalorian. Uh, IG-11 doesn't have the great open yet. The fire trooper, uh, through that door to the bar, takes aim, fires. Uh, the child pushes the flame back, blowing out the trooper. Uh, and that gives just enough time for IG-11 to get that grate open. Mando says again for him to be left. Uh, and this is where we get some, uh, I don't know, some, some transferring of who's who's going where because IG-11 will stay with him and tasks Kara to watch the child. Are we clear on all of this? Yes. And uh, rather, um, the Mandalorian would rather have ig-11 kill him than the imperials but he's been reprogrammed he can't fight that he needs to remove the helmet to help our mandalorian but the creed forbids that of course no living thing has seen him without his helmet since he swore the creed we'll talk a little bit about the accuracy of that given this series in a little bit uh but ig-11 points out it is not a living thing. And then the helmet hisses. And, oh my God, Matt, it's Game of Thrones, Pedro Pascal. Uh, Pete, I never would have thought that Pedro Pascal from Narcos and Game of Thrones would have been under there. Uh, although, I thought it was weird he was doing press for the show all the way you know, back since the summer. But I Even digress. stranger were the people that freaked out that he was under there. Wait, are you serious? I thought, I thought you were just setting up a joke here there were people who were no, surprised there are, that... there are people one there are people who are surprised that it's pedro pascal despite the fact that it's been his voice and him acting some Name of the, in the credits 
yeah uh he's not always under there sometimes it's john wayne's grandson the other thing is, i'm assuming as a stunt double you mean yes okay the other thing people were concerned about is that pedro pascal is not um handsome enough well pete that's disappointing you didn't say what i thought you were going to say is that some people were Oh, I'm sure that we're not even going to give credence nor dignity to what other people uh, might have complaints about Pedro Pascal. Well, I don't know how you can love this show and not know the slightest bit outside of the the construction of the episodes. Obviously not you, Pete. It's more the, the, the person listening who has never heard of this show or who probably doesn't listen to the podcast who's... Surprised slash upset over Pedro Pascal. Pete, I'm surprised and upset that it looks like he's about to die. Maybe not Pedro Pascal. He does as his character. Uh, Luckily, though, IG-11 has a back to spray. He'll be healed in several hours despite damage to his CPU. That was a joke. It's great. They reunite in the sewers here. Karga saying they should follow the smell of sulfur to the river. They're going to get the Mandalorians to escort them to safety. Now the Mandalorian is able to walk under his own power. That that backed us good stuff, Matt. The tracks are close that he can see through his helmet. And then a horrifying pile of helmets and armor with some absolute detail that does not go unnoticed. Yes, proof of the price that was paid when he left Navarro. Uh, Grief Karka, though, who let's not forget Pete, one of the jobs of this episode is to complete the story rehabilitation of Grief Karga from bad guy who shot at and tried to kill our The Mandalorian to TV's Carl Weathers, who's going to be a great presence in season two. Uh, Grief Karga saying that he had no role in these deaths when The Mandalorian left, the fight ended. So Grief making it very clear, uh, you know, don't blame him. Uh, Pete, what else do you want to do? You want to take from this scene? There is a very conspicuous helmet on the other side of the pile that goes unseen by our characters that we will reference in our theory segment. There is a female helmet that looks rather familiar on top. We'll also talk about, but the Mandalorian can't leave them like this. Not the work of bounty hunters. It's still his work, and the armorer shows up thank goodness not all of them have died they knew the risk when they revealed themselves and uh, she said the imperials arrived shortly after many may have escaped off world it's not clear but she will not abandon them until she has salvaged what remains may have escaped open door to uh, heavy infantry or other characters returning in season two if Jon Favreau wants to um, she however is staying until she has salvaged what remains they go into the shrine where she's melting down armor pieces kind of thought maybe we were going to do something with that we ended up not uh, at least not this season she asks to see the child the one that our Mando hunted then saved the same child that saved him She's heard of such powers and has heard stories of sorcerers called Jedi who found the Mandalorians and fought with them. Still, that does not make the child Mando's enemy. The Creed calls for Mando to return the child to his people uh, and to care for him until then. So, 
are we clear on the rest of this episode and the general thrust of season two? Like a father here is the relationship described. And uh, he has no choice but to reunite it with its own. He must determine where. So, uh, you know, laid out by the creed, this is the way. Kara interrupts that the Imperials are coming. Uh, the armor explains they'll take the descending tunnel to the underground river. And uh, with that, the Mandalorian has earned his signet here on his right pauldron, the Clan of Two for the Mudhorn. Some far-off booms are heard. Imperials are in the sewers. IG-11 is asked to guard the outer hallway, and he hands Kara the baby, even though she doesn't do the baby thing. Similarly, as we kind of move props around here, Mando is gifted a jetpack, though IG-11 will carry it for now, so all the bits and bobs hopefully clear. Um, Some off-screen shooting of uh, stormtroopers to basically act as a story clock to say, wait, more are coming. And with that, the party leaves the armorer in the forge. Uh, There she waits with her hammer and uh, smithy tools. Uh, She holds them as if in prayer. The fresh wave of stormtroopers surround her, and she takes them out, throwing one to the forge. Face masks are smashed, and it's just violence, uh, which is very fun to watch. Little bit of uh, exposition from the previous scene with the gift of the jetpack that IG-11 is holding on to. Um, She checks that the Mandalorian has been trained in the Rising Phoenix and uh, when he has healed here, he'll begin drills in it. He's now complete the training, Matt, complete. Um, and uh, he will be able to make it listen to his commands. So we're also moving the character forward as well. They hit the lava river with the old boat that, of course, two males can't make budge. So here comes Cara Dune with her blaster. Uh, yes, and this, Pete, you know, much digital ink spilled over hot take the lava river metaphor is, ooh, a descent into hell. Yeah, that's oftentimes how it works. Pete, if only we had a Charon-like ferryman to deliver them into hell, uh, or some sort of afterlife metaphor. Wait, Pete, there's a droid defunct at the back of the boat. No worry of that. Uh, once they get on the boat... The R2 uh, unit reactivates, comes out of the rubble with legs and arms, starts to push them down river. Down river. Pete, can we call this droid CH-RN or Charon, <laughs> please? Yes, we can. We got a Kara, we got a Charon, uh, but they're not going to be able to carry on forever here because the Mandalorian sees, despite the freedom that appears at the end of the tunnel, here uh there are stormtroopers an entire platoon ready to flank them uh for some reason the droid won't stop i don't know that the episode satisfactorily explains to me why that is but kara stops it by blowing its head off literally uh with that ig11 gets ready pete as we get sad here gets ready for the second protocol uh it will self-destruct as per manufacturer's protocol uh, how is he able to to uh, decide this with nurse droid action? Uh, he notes that victory through combat uh, loses the child and everyone. This is the only way 
to make it happen. And Pete, there's nothing to be sad about because IG-11 was never alive. A nurse has analyzed the Mandalorian's voice here. Great touch of writing. Um, he gets in the lava as the child looks on and gets to the end of that tunnel and detonates himself. We'll talk a little bit about apparent lack of knowledge on behalf of stormtroopers and scout troopers into what an IG-11 manufacturer's warranty is <laughs> and maybe running the other way uh, in a little bit. But once they're out of the tunnel, the TIE fighter shows up. It's Moff Gideon. He's missed, but he won't miss again. And their blasters are useless because Cara Dune has told us their blasters are useless. That's how that works. Uh, funniest moment, maybe, of the entire series. <laughs> Grief calls for the baby to do his magic hand thing. Come on, do the magic hand thing. He waves his hand at the child. The child waves back. Um, with that, the Mandalorian puts on his jet pack just as Gideon lines up a shot. Uh, but the Mandalorian takes flight, grappling onto the TIE fighter. Some wiggling, some waggling. Uh, one attempt to blow it up, and the explosive device falls away, not quite put on. Then Mando's able to put one, nay, two on there. He jumps off. Gideon blasted out of the sky. Uh, fate unknown for now. And Mandalorian sticks the landing to return. Grief tells him that it was impressive, very impressive, maybe bordering on most impressive, but that's another guy's line. His guild rates will definitely go up. There's no more stormtroopers, and Kara says she's going to stay, to be sure. And Navarro has become respectable again. Wait, for bounty hunters? Hey, some of my favorite people are bounty hunters. Uh, maybe... With Kara sticking around, she could become uh, Grief's enforcer. Maybe he could even clear up her chain code. With that, Mando, you, uh, go do what you need to do with the child. Then you'll have a pick of bounty hunting jobs. Mandalorian Season 2. Um, Kara hopes that Mando will take care of Baby Yoda, but Grief wonders if maybe the child will take care of the Mandalorian. Uh, with that, Pete, they take us back to the ship the storytellers do but not before we get a little nod to the past yes we bury quill with the rocks there and his little leather helmet into the razor crest plop the child on the seat and suddenly we notice that he is sucking on the mythosaur necklace that the mandalorian did not think he'd ever see again he should hang on to that as they lift off and pass Kara and Grief, and then cut to the TIE fighter smoldering as the Jawas get ready to pick it apart. Suddenly sparks and they scurry. Oh my God, Matt, it's a Darksaber. That it is. Gideon steps out, holding it, wielding it, blade buzzing. The end of season one. Let's chase down some theories. Pete, I would imagine that most people listening to this podcast uh, either were familiar with the Darksaber or have made themselves familiar with it uh, after this episode aired. But you want to give a quick summary so that we can address is uh, Moff Gideon, uh, Darth Vader in the future, <laughs> in the past, etc.? 
So the Darksaber was first seen in the Clone Wars cartoon that ran uh, beginning in 2008, not the uh, the original two-dimensional animated one, but the, the 3D style, that under Dave Filoni, carried by the character of Paz Vizsla, voiced by John Favreau. Later, passed hands into Star Wars Rebels, where Sabine Wren wielded it. So uh, the Jedi and the Mandalorians go back uh, as far as beef and have fought. The Mandalorians have never wielded the Force, but have their own version, this dark saber of a lightsaber. It's black. It's got that white outline. It's got a little bit more of a point on it. It's more like a katana, more like a ninja sword than it is, you know, the oval kind of lightsaber shape. So clearly some setup for both backstory and new story in season two in terms of how he got it and its connection to the Jedi of which we see uh, the child being force sensitive and the Mandalorian people of which we see one and many in the course of this first season. I mean, I think we have everything that we need to know of how we got it. He was heavily involved in the purge of Mandalore. He knows about this night of a thousand tears from which we've never heard of before, at least as far as the live action or the animated stuff is concerned. Um, He's a bad dude. And you went out and you got Giancarlo Esposito and you made the decision to give him this legendary sword. This is like the Mandalorian version of Excalibur. Perhaps once, uh, and we got to remember, he did not see this lit up. So the Mandalorian and the armorer may come to awareness that he has this and uh, need to get it back. Pete, it belongs in a museum, if you ask me. Uh, what theories are on your radar? So Moff Gideon killing his own seems to be a recurrent theme here, though we don't see the officer he kills, and we don't even know if that's true, given the discussion of the, the scout troopers there and the unseen voice over the radio. There's this definite theme between killing the client, between gunning down his own stormtroopers that, hey, you can just raise these Imperials. Uh, hey, the, the stormtrooper armor passes to other people. Put it on. Do what I need you to do. I don't know that I completely buy what was said uh, by the, uh, you know, by the stormtrooper off screen uh, regarding, you know, he just killed an officer for speaking uh, or for interrupting him, whatever it was. Certainly, it's in line with the venom of the character, whether they're having a little bit of a joke. I mean, we, he very clearly did just just uh, kill uh, the client and kill the stormtroopers that were in there. So I think it just, if nothing else, it heightens the, it heightens the, um, the oomph of the character, even if it's meant to be a new death that may or may not have happened, separate from what happened in 107. So we have Sudeikis and we have this other scout trooper. I, I know a name was thrown out there. It's not one that I recognize, not on the level of a Jason Sudeikis. But um, it's evident or at least explicable that they, surpri- they surprise, they survive. Can we get these guys again and uh, just continue the stormtrooper affectation that they can't even shoot straight? 
<laughs> I don't know that they survived, but I don't see any problem with getting, you know, both of the voice, the actors who here acted as voice actors. I see no problem with getting them back, if only as new stormtroopers, you know. I don't know if we now, are. I in- want them back as the identical stormtroopers. They're still kicking around with Moff Gideon. Like, oh man, that that Mando's still out there. You know, you know they never take their helmets off. How do they never take that? Come on, we take our helmets off. You got to brush <laughs> your teeth. You got to comb your hair. Okay, you got to eat. What do you mean this guy never takes his helmet off? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, John Favreau, put me in the room. <laughs> Maybe they do a separate commentary track where those two stormtroopers just watch mm-hmm. watch all you know all eight episodes of The Mandalorian. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know tons of tons of potential here, Pete. This a theory segment that I think I, I don't want to suggest that it's running a little threadbare, but we have Queel confirmed dead. We have uh, Peace apparently returning to Navarro. We have The Mandalorian off with a new adventure. We have Cara Dune finding a place, maybe able to escape her past. We have Grief Karga back in town, recently revealed as the Magistrate. What else you got here that isn't a full-on Season 2 theory, which I guess we could save for our Season 1 wrap? Definitely going to hold those back so we can discuss that, in addition to the image that Jon Favreau shared of a new character for Season 2, what we're looking for for our season one wrap is who will voice that want your craziest and then serious uh versions of who do you think is going to voice that pig-faced gamorian or gamorian however you want to pronounce it however uh so cara uh a survivor of alderaan which i think was definitely a shock and that name carries weight that of course the planet destroyed by the original death star as a show of seriousness so we are nine years at the beginning of this series post destruction of alderaan so she was evidently not there or got in a lifeboat i don't i don't think they really got a chance to get anybody into a lifeboat so you can only imagine why when uh the target was confirmed as imperial boom i'm in and what that does for her motivation throughout the rest of the series oh yeah i think that the addition of those two words of alderaan it brings everything else into focus not that it greatly changes our understanding i mean she was out until she was told you know out of helping until she was told they were imperials then she was in uh that situation is not changed by of alderaan but now we just better understand her motivations and then when you consider this mind flare she's concerned to be hooked up to I could imagine this is what they call the uh, interrogation droid. But for a minute, I'm like, wait a minute. Galaxy far, far away. Mind flare. Uh, 1980s. Mind flare. Upside down. Oh, my God, Matt. We just connected Star Wars uh, to Stranger Things. Star Wars exists in the Stranger Things universe. It's like E.T. showing up in The Phantom Menace. Well, and honestly, I would peg it maybe as simply as Favreau has watched and enjoyed Stranger Things, and not that he is the custodian of Star Wars, but he certainly is the custodian of this show. If they're going to tip their hat to Star Wars, and he's 
you know, all due respect to Dave Filoni and everybody else, John Favreau as as the ferryman of this series, it's his place to be able to give a little tip of the tip of the hat back to Stranger Things, that other impactful cultural thing that's uh, been going on for the last couple of years. So Moff Gideon is believed to have been executed. So whether or not he might have survived an execution, but that the New Republic would execute Imperial uh, prisoners, Imperial suspects, I think is also a very interesting aspect. Interesting, yes. Surprising, no. Let's not forget the Empire and the First Order and the Last Order. They are space Nazis, and what happened to the worst, you know, real-life Nazis after World War II, tried, convicted, and executed, many of them were, some tried, convicted, in prison for the rest of their life, etc. So the notion, you know, Pete, I know there's some discussion, which is maybe a discussion to have uh, for another day, there's some discussion, you know, what does it do when we make, uh, you know, space Nazis or metaphorical Nazis, does that take away from... The, the power and potency in our own world. Separate from that, to me, it's this very clear analog that he's one of the worst if he was uh, lined up for a uh, for an execution, just like real-life Nazis. No living thing has seen Din Djarin without his helmet on since he swore the creed. Except, of course, um, kids playing on the planet of Sorgan and... Presumably, the child. Um, I disagree with the kid thing, as we had discussed in that podcast. Could they have looked in? Yes. Do we have any evidence that they did? No. Can this, can we give it the story flourish of, and he was so in the shadows while the kids did not look into the shadows that he was not seen. That's how I interpret it. Um, maybe that's how he interprets it, even if the kids did get a glimpse of him. So maybe, Pete, you can have your cake and eat it too. Um, as for the child seeing him, I mean, couldn't he just keep his helmet on whenever he's hanging out with the child? You know, when it's time for Mando to go feed himself, he just keeps the baby, you know, oh, look, the baby's asleep. I'll take the helmet off and turn the, turn the pram around. Oh, the baby's stirring. First thing I do is put the helmet back on. Speaking of helmets, in that pile of helmets seen under uh, the mud city of Navarro, we have one on the other side that very, very closely in shape and color scheme matches that of Boba Fett. Well, if we are... If that's going to be another clue, the earlier one being the spur sound, if that's going to be another clue that we're going to get Boba Fett in season two, that well could be. I mean, again, I know we want to save kind of a full season two discussion for our season one wrap, but here we are at the end of this episode, at the end of this season. We don't know who spur uh, boot person was. We don't know the fate of Fennec Shand. Uh, for sure, played by Disney legend Ming-Na Wen, who could easily come back, who's right now working on a secret project, Pete, that she can't talk about. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it all could be headed in the what? same direction here. Uh, yeah. She's not allowed to talk about being in The Mandalorian Season 2. Why not? <laughs> um, so, uh, to me, there's there's just, I don't know, potential aplenty there. Um, and if you want to say, oh, Boba Fett got his 
helmet knocked off helping out and was less concerned about covering his face than he was saving saving himself, particularly as somebody who's not a Mandalorian. Um, that all seems to be having fishes swimming in the same direction. Okay. So how are stormtroopers not aware at this point when you come across an IG droid to know that when it's going down, that the thing is going to self-destruct? Pete, all I will say is this. My father served in the Air Force from 1960 to 1964. And when he was coming in, there were guys who were getting ready to retire, having been drafted during World War II and then stayed in there. And some of these guys who were 20-year veterans of the Air Force, what would have been the Army prior to the, to the Air Force, it's like they had trouble doing things like reading and spelling at a basic level. Uh, and that's not to take away from you know our fine fighting forces and World War II vets, etc. All I'm saying is this. If in the real world, at least post you know, post World War II, you could have people in the service who maybe lacked basic basic understandings of the world around them or basic education, whatever it might be. So then surely too you can have the same conditions pulling you know, pulling similar stormtroopers who are the bottom of the barrel, uh, whether it's academically <laughs> bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, being able to aim at that tin can. Uh, whatever it might might be, I know it's kind of a yuck yuck cliche that stormtroopers can't shoot and you know they're expendable and all that. Somebody's got to be the least effective stormtrooper, and the fact that we keep running into them, eh, you know, okay, stormtroopers on the Death Star are a lot different than guy that goes boo and pulls the thing down to fire it. He's technically trained stormtrooper guy, you know, in the detention block, less so. So. We've had IG-11 shot through the head. Now he has self-destructed. This is a space fairy tale. He's in lava. He pulls the self-destruct. There's no way he can be reconstituted after this? Well, Pete, I saw a space battle movie a week or two ago, which uh, up front said, say goodbye to C-3PO and Chewbacca, beloved characters who you will never see again. Look, Chewbacca just died on that thing. Look, 3PO is saying goodbye to the audience because he's dead. They're both dead. Wait, they're both back. I mean, I would take this, Pete. You want to make a little joke. Season 1 gets you IG-11 and no secret out of, oh, we transferred the thing or we made a copy. Although, uh, maybe back at Quill's farm there's a backup thing of code or whatever. Uh, how about season two brings you IG-12, which, you know, still Taika Waititi, still that delightful thing. And, oh, I reprogram, reprogrammed him with new base code, except this one, pick your affect. This one, Toy Story 3 style, speaks in Spanish because the switch is flipped. <laughs> or this one, curses. No, don't say blarg blaffer, you know, in front of the child or whatever it is. It could just be a it could be a funny thing that each season you get IG-11, IG-12, IG-13, and there's some little goofy thing, so he's both back and not back. Well, IG-11, IG-12, IG-88, thank goodness, Matt, for our legion of Patreons on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Yes, Pete, they keep us flying high. Though IG-11 blew up our hearts, it's our patrons who are going to help us stitch it back together, particularly this 
section of podcasting here, particularly as we have to look ahead next weekend to what the future for The Mandalorian can be. So thank you to all who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and help keep us supported. All right, let's extend that antenna. Pete, we'll start with a Twitter poll that we ran. Uh, One star, punches sack. I was milking that for all it was worth. 0% Pete. Two stars, enemy wizards. 0%. Three stars, Dejang the dudes. 4%. And then Pete, guaranteed the highest reaction we've ever gotten for a Fantastic Geek Twitter poll. Four stars, redemption. 96% of the voters voted that way. A couple of comments here. One from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo1983. Everything came together in the end perfectly. Taika Waititi directed a great episode and wrapped the story up nicely. I knew he was directing by the way the stormtroopers were interacting in the beginning discussing the child. Pure comedy. Also, Pete, a tweet from James. It's at Big Killen, who says, It's actually hard to believe how good that episode was. What's cooler than a Mandalorian taking out a tie? An Imperial Remnant Moth wielding a Darksaber comes pretty close. And last but certainly not least, Pete. Uh, I guess credit where credit is due. This is where I got the little uh, got the little joke, and I guess I forgot about it. A tweet from Steve the Burge who says, uh, I need this t-shirt, and it's a picture of IG-11 with the words, To Nurse and Protect. The uh, energy that Taika Waititi brings to this episode and when you consider the things we've never seen we've had 11 star wars movies and we've never seen somebody hang on a tie fighter and then it happens for the first time in the first live action tv show i can't wait to see the rest of rick mccallum's 10 million scripts Pete, I did actually read in the last couple days that maybe, maybe Star Wars Underworld, as written by Rick McCallum, might not be moving forward uh, on ABC at some point in the 2010s. That's just possible. To Apple Podcast, Matt, where JTA is me has joined our uh, group of uh, raffle review eligible people. Uh, with this review headlined the star Wars podcast, you need five stars. Seriously. How do people fully enjoy star Wars, star Trek, Marvel, etc., without a little time well spent with Matt and Pete in the fantastic geek podcast network, PGP N question mark. As always, the fantastic ones possess the love of the material that any fan should coupled with generous helpings of backstory, knowledge and critique that is honest and free of bitter fan snark. You've done it again, boys. Well, I will take as the highlight of that free of bitter fan snark. I think Pete, we need to make t-shirts of that or at the very least <laughs> that's, that's our creed moving forward. We fan snark like, free. Yeah. Fan snark free. Uh, there there can be things that we like. There can be things that we don't like. I think to our Runaways podcast where, you know, I kind of was up front saying there was stuff in Cloak and Dagger and maybe even Runaways I, I didn't love. But not loving is different than hating. And uh, that's sometimes where the snark comes in when you're showing the hate and not the respect and the love. Pete, speaking of respect, speaking of love, nay, admiration, it is time to hear from our Grand Moff 
That is, of course, Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian. Season 1, Episode 8. Okay, first off, in your last podcast you were referring to these black stormtroopers that Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, were also in Star Wars Rebels. And I thought, Star Wars Rebels, I don't know any Star Wars Rebels, so I looked it up and found this animated series for four seasons, which is actually quite, quite nice. So I watched some episodes, and I think I will watch some more. And what's very nice is that there is also a Star Wars Rebels Recon, which is background information. That's a show for, I think, ten minutes or something where they have all kinds of interviews with the makers of this animated series. So, thanks guys for pulling me from under this next Star Wars rock. And another thing I discovered is that you did a podcast in 2014 about this animated series. So, I will listen to that as well. And by the way, there is a nice female Mandalorian playing in that animated series called Sabine. And she does take her helmet off. There is even a very nice Nerdist article from Christmas Day, 25th of December, that is saying that actually Solo, in combination with Rogue One and this animated series, form a kind of fourth trilogy. I will put a link on the Facebook page to this article. Okay, about the finale of season one. I think the opening scene with the two stormtroopers on their bikes and with the child was quite funny. But it was a little overdone. And that they miss a target shooting is funny, but they keep missing. And that was a little too much. What I also thought was a little overdone was the fact that Moff Gideon was killing his own soldiers. Would he really kill his own soldiers for almost nothing. If we later see how he acts, I don't think he has to make a point anymore. I think they know he is the boss. And then having less and less soldiers in a situation where the empire is lost anyhow, well, probably not the wisest choice. I think even he wouldn't choose for that. I'm a little ambivalent about a lava stream. On one hand, I find it a very nice idea to use lava instead of the everlasting water running under cities in sewers and being the big escape route for anyone. So lava is a nice idea, but it should be really too hot to go with a boat on it. And especially when IG-11 puts his legs in it, they should be melted away immediately. And this stream goes from the city to outwards. What the heck causes lava to erupt in a city? And if the lava doesn't erupt in the city, it comes from outside the city and there is a city built around a lava stream that goes through it. What? A bit strange. But nevertheless, the idea is nice. Okay, I don't want to get into a audio feedback that is way too long so i will stop here have many other points about the series but perhaps that's something for the wrap up 
I surely loved this episode and surely loved the series. So thanks guys for this marvelous Star Wars ride and pulling me away under some Star Wars rocks. I'm just a Star Trek guy, but getting better into the Star Wars universe due to you. Greetings, all the best from the Netherlands and a very happy new year for 2020. And for people who also follow the Runaways podcast, my nitpicks can be added to Fred's nitpicking digital book. Published by Fantastic Geek Publishers. Pete, a delightful experience every single time that we hear from Fred. And uh, I must confess, I was, I was brought into the visual nature of the the lava stream the notion of the descent into hell the the ferryman and whatnot fred does raise a good point if it's uh hot enough for the rock to be molten why are our heroes not cooking um oftentimes we say things can be fixed with a line you know oh man i'm still glad that the cooling beam still works on this boat or something like that maybe could have addressed fred's concern I like the idea that there's lava beneath the city, that the city's built around it. I don't think it's erupting underneath. I think it's more of a flowing underneath type of thing. We've seen other lava fields elsewhere. It is an alien planet. We don't know the uh, the compounds they're dealing with. The, uh, the uh, periodic table, I think, is a little different in the Star Wars universe, so... I think we can suspend disbelief. Always happy to levitate some rocks off uh, Fred here, who maintains he lives under a rock. Uh, We did only podcast season one of Star Wars Rebels. It was basically something we were doing to fill some time when we didn't have a podcast going on. And that hasn't happened since 2014. So unfortunately we did not return for season two, three or four. It is an excellent show and only gets better uh, as it goes along, as seems to be the case with both of the Filoni helmed uh, animated shows. Well, Pete, it occurs to me, maybe, you know, with this feed, with this Mandalorian feed, uh, going on hiatus until, you know, presumably show news in the summer leading into the, the fall premiere. You know, maybe we maybe we rebroadcast some of those episodes on the Mandalorian feed, uh, it being familiar Star Wars content. That's a discussion we can certainly have uh, as time goes on. But uh, certainly glad for Fred to have discovered it and glad for others to be uh, to be listening to it as well. Pete, as people prepare... For our Mandalorian Season 1 wrap next weekend, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,996. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, Followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P, with the H, like it today. Pete, for those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed between now and next Saturday, we are doing the last three episodes of Runaways and tentatively a Runaways Season 3 wrap, then wrapping Mandalorian. Lots of wraps here, but for now, Pete, this episode over, so I will say adios to all listeners and give you the final word. 
Come on, baby. Do the magic hand thing. 